Welcome to SPS Talks, a podcast by and for the leaders of the Children's Hospital's Solutions for Patient Safety Network. My name is Ann Lyron, and I'm the Clinical Director of the Solutions for Patient Safety. Before we begin, I want to make sure you're aware of our upcoming national learning session. This September from the 18th to the 20th in Houston, Texas. This particular learning session is designed for leaders in children's hospitals who are working on safety. If you have any questions about the learning session or need additional information, feel free to reach out to SPS or um, to get the registration information. One of our most difficult work streams in the Solutions for Patient Safety is central line associated bloodstream infections. We've been working on this harm from the beginning and making great progress, and that's in large part due to some fantastic leaders. The title of today's podcast is We Heard You, Addressing the Network's Top 10 Clabsy Prevention Questions. It's my pleasure to introduce to you today two of the co-leaders of the Clabsy Hospital Acquired Condition Work Stream. The first is Margie McCaskey. Margie is the Clinical Outcomes and Quality Advisor and Director of Nursing Education and Professional Development at Children's of Alabama in Birmingham. Joining Margie today is Elizabeth Mack. Elizabeth is a professor of pediatrics who's currently serving as Division Director of Pediatric Critical Care, University Faculty Ombuds, and Medical Director of Graduate Medical Education, Quality and Safety at the Medical University of South Carolina. Welcome to both of you. I'm gonna begin with you, Margie. Thank you. So as the CLABSI co-leads, we received many calls from our hospitals across the network related to CLABSI and how hospitals can solve their CLABSI problems. So we put together a list of our most frequently asked questions. And with sincere apologies to David Letterman, we put this in a top 10 questions format. So question number 10, to which hospitals should we compare ourselves? What if our patients are, are thicker, tinier, cuter, whatever adjective you want to add? And our response to that is the only comparison that really matters is yourself. You should be looking at your data, your practice, your process measures, your reliability, so that you know you're doing and providing the best care you can for your patient. So with that, I will pass this off to Elizabeth. All right, thanks Margie. So number nine, do MBIs or mucosal barrier infections count? And they do certainly count from a family and patient perspective. They also count uh, for our Solutions for Patient Safety Network. SPS does count MBIs, and uh, whoever enters your data each month can see this on the web form. Um, I will just mention that we have a, a subgroup called the PTMONT-CLABSI Collaborative, and they have implemented several, several different adjunct bundles in addition to the uh, standard insertion and care and maintenance bundles that specifically address MBIs. And I'll also mention that locally, we have seen significant reduction with this uh, implementation of these adjunct bundles, specifically in our MBI classes. So yes, they absolutely count. And you're up next, Margie. 
Question number eight, what is the best source of processed data? Is it the electronic health record, observation, secret shopper methods, job instructions, training, simulated responses? There is a full list of ways to collect our processed data. When we first began with SPS and, and process measurement, we wanted everyone to know exactly how to do each step of the bundle. So asking a hypothetical question and saying, Elizabeth, tell me how you would access the central line, and she would list the steps, was acceptable. But we're at the point now where we do expect everyone to know this. We expect our practitioners and our bedside caregivers to be able to perform these skills and these tasks. So truly and honestly, observation is the very best way to measure. Certainly there are pieces of the bundle that you can't observe. You're looking to see if daily discussion is documented, but those things, those process measures that can be visually watched really truly should be. That would include dressing changes if it's time for that, tubing change, cap change, accessing a central line, and making sure that all of those steps are being followed every time they're being done. Elizabeth? All right, so next question. So we've had a patient that has had several CLABSIs. What do you guys suggest as the CLABSI leadership team? And you know, how many times do we sit around in an RCA or an ACA and a parent cause analysis after a CLABSI and we all look at each other and say, you know, I knew it. I knew this was gonna happen. And we'd really like to get ahead of that. Um, we'd like to use the high reliability principle of preoccupation with failure. And we'd like to say, you know what? For every risk factor that this child has, for everything that really bothers us in our gut, we have a concern that this child will develop a clavicle. We'll actually develop some mitigating uh, strategies that really get at these risk factors and develop a high-risk care plan for this. And for those of you that are uh, in the network, you can go on to SharePoint and see some examples of these tools, um, but they specifically address the risk factors that each child um, might have that really make you nervous about that child's particular inclination to develop a CLABSI. And most importantly, it's not just a document that you put together and, and put away, but rather you engage all the team members involved in that child's care, especially the family, uh, and you revisit it at least weekly. You sit down and you say, okay, how is this going? How, when the child goes off the unit to this procedure or this ancillary area, how are we taking care of the line? And when the child is in their room, is it getting cleaned as, uh, as we know is appropriate and that sort of thing. So really digging into every single little risk factor and reassessing it constantly to be sure that we are doing uh, the best, most reliable evidence-based prevention known uh, for that patient. And you're up next, Margie. The next question is, um, is peer auditing acceptable? There are many ways to operationalize um, the collection of process data. And we know that um, the very, very best way to do it would be a totally non-biased observation by someone unrelated to the unit, the patient, the caregiver. We also know that's very difficult to make happen. So peer pressure can be a good thing. It can also um, lead to, well, she's my friend. I don't want to say she did it wrong. So usually she does it right. I'll give her the benefit of the doubt today. 
So I would say the best answer to this is whichever way you do your auditing, make sure that your auditors are very comfortable with the steps that they're watching, that they know the bundle, and they're very willing to speak up if they see something that's not quite right. It's not about saying, no, this was wrong. It is all about saying, here's an opportunity where we can make a difference and change what we're doing for the betterment of the patient care. All right, so one very popular question. Do we, as an SPS, exclude from our reporting CLABSIs related to ECMO, epidermolysis bullosa, ventricular assist devices, Munchausen's, or a variety of other conditions? And the answer is that SPS goes along with the CDC's NHSN. And the CDC puts out its definition of CLABSI um, about every year or two. And the most recent document, as of January 2019, has a table, specifically table three, that specifically delineates each one of the exclusions in reporting. And so in general, no, these things are not uh, necessarily included, but you'll refer to that table, and SPS does go along with NHSN's CLABSI definition. Um, so see that for more details. Next, Margie. We recently rolled out a, a new element to the bundle with CHG and doing CHG treatments which prompted a question about CHG and what happens if we can't get CHG wipes or when families refuse the CHG treatment or we have a shortage of products. Well, we in healthcare live and die by supply chain and how well they can provide us the products that we need. And we have little control on back orders or shortages of supplies. Example of that would be last summer when the CHG wipes were not available and we as a collaborative of the hospitals that were using it kind of gathered together and said, okay, what can we do to make sure our patients get our CHG treatment when we don't have the wipes? So you do your best, you put in place what's logical and standard and make sure that everyone across the hospital is doing what they need to be doing and doing it correctly. The other half of this question is about what do I do if a patient or a parent says, no, I don't want to do that. When you're auditing that, that answer, no, I don't want to, a refusal is really equivalent to a no, the patient didn't receive it when they should have. If a patient is truly medically contraindicated to have a CHG treatment, they're allergic to CHG or they're receiving certain drugs that are not compatible with chlorhexidine, that becomes the, then it's not applicable if um, you're auditing that particular patient. But patient refusal really needs better patient education and explaining why it is that we're doing this treatment and why it will help prevent eclapsy from occurring. I think the next question, Elizabeth, is one of my favorites. <laughs> so, um, I'm glad you enjoy it, Margie. So we get the question a lot, what happens when your clinicians don't agree with the infection, infection preventionist CLABSI call? And does everyone in the network call CLABSIs the same? And of course, uh, you know, we, the NHSN definition of a CLABSI should be left to the expert, which is the infection preventionist. This is really not a clinical definition of CLABSI. So we as clinicians could argue all day that you know, really the child wasn't as sick 
as they should have been or we didn't treat it with antibiotics or whatever, but at the end of the day, this is an administrative definition, this is the NHSN's definition, and the infection preventionist is really the expert on that. We don't test infection preventionists to see um, whether they would call um, a CLABSI the same. We do trust that um, IPs use the NHSN definition um, that the SBS network ascribes to. Um, and we have started in our CLABSI webinars, monthly, uh, bi-monthly webinars, going through some examples of um, various cases and trying to get the group to um, understand the definition and to, you know, sort of get folks on the same page. But uh, in general, this is an administrative definition, and uh, we use as our network operational definition the NHSN definition. You're next, Margie. So there are many other interventions that can and have been tried to reduce CLABSIs. We frequently are asked about passive disinfection devices, covers that go over needleless caps to bathe them in alcohol or chlorhexidine. Our um, response to that is, first of all, it's not a part of the bundle. So if you are employing those products we, and measuring the compliance of that use, we would prefer you not report that in your process data. We also know that um, hospitals that have started using passive disinfection devices sometimes struggle with a change in workflow when you start putting a cap on that essentially continuously cleans the cap, if you don't have it on, are your nurses remembering to scrub the hub? And what's extremely important in all of this is that the access port is appropriately cleaned, allowed to dry, so that it is as clean as it can be before anything enters that line. And then, of course, being a children's um, network and having lots of pediatric patients, we always caution people to think about these small devices. Are they in the bed? Can they be a choking hazard? Um, thinking through all of the possible scenarios that might occur with these products. And lastly, just remembering that doing all of the pieces of the maintenance bundle as it is and doing those well should be your first goal before you add any other intervention into your CLABSI prevention program. And Elizabeth, question number one. All right, the last one, Margie. What if our bundle reliability is high, but our CLABSIs aren't decreasing? In other words, our outcome data are concerning. And in general, um, we'd recommend a few different things. We'd recommend looking at your data source. So as Margie uh, mentioned earlier, real-time observations with your own two eyes even if the N is smaller, even if you can do less observations, then you can pull a report from your EHR. We'd rather see 20 or 30 valuable in-person uh, observations, non-peer observations, than we would see thousands of EHR report, uh, pieces of data from an EHR report. Um, and so it, another thing of concern is if you saw 100% reliability uh, with the bundle for months and months and months in a row, be suspicious. Um, we are human. We're not perfect. Um, actually, uh, <laughs> lower compliance will give you a place to start. Um, start collecting your barriers. So in other words, when you, um, part of that Kamishi by card process is when you get um, data, process data, and you are not compliant, asking the question why? What would have made it easier for you to do the right thing? And then really addressing those 
those barriers that you identify through your observations, go to Gimba. So go to the bedside, see what's going on, see if the staff have um, the, uh, the priority in mind, if they understand the importance, if they have the materials they need, the supplies they need, if they've got the leadership they need, the support they need. Um, that all will be really important in addressing your compliance with the bundle. So uh, make sure you've got real-time um, observation data that is collected in a way that you trust, um, and then really try to perfect your compliance with the bundle. And just in conclusion, we would um, just like to share that this is not a numbers game. CLAPSI is really about decreasing harm to the patient, um, not trying to make the numbers look better, but actually truly decreasing harm. We are happy to answer questions as a uh, SPS and CLAPSI uh, leadership team, and remembering that uh, this is about getting back to the basics. And the basics are, by the way, not as simple as it sounds. So compliance with the bundle, the CLAPSI bundle is complex um, in knowing when to change what and how we cue people to do those tasks. Making it easy to do the right thing is really important in supporting our teams in their journey uh, in CLABSI prevention. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, we appreciate your commitment to children's quality and safety and specifically CLABSI reduction in particular. Thank you so much.